0: Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate and, in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco.
1: Good morning, everyone. We are coming to you live from Hudson Yards here in New York City as Good Morning New York gets underway on this Tuesday morning. At this hour, enchanted by Manhattan's 2nd Avenue subway line, developers are building high-rise condo and rental buildings in Yorkville. Some residents say the buildings are erasing their community's character. In recent decades, the walk-ups and other low-rise buildings have provided homes for college graduates, young families, older retirees, and transplants from the country's heartland. All of them were willing to wash their clothes in a coin laundromat. They loved their local shoe repair shops, fishmongers, and diners, whose workers they got to know every time they went in and out. All of that is changing and changing rapidly. There is a great debate for both sides, and we will get into it. Also at this hour, in this crazy, hectic world of real estate in New York City, how do agents take a break and breathe even in down markets? What do they do? How about the positive effects of incorporating more of the human side of things into the business. How do you do that? Well, we're going to find out with our special guest today, and we will also take a pulse of the current marketplace and what the greatest challenges are. Sellers are not reducing enough, and buyers are expecting a 10% discount, and co-ops are rejecting applications to protect the values in their buildings. Wake up, guys. It's the wrong time to do that. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I am Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate. In the news this morning, the Federal Reserve is cutting interest rates for the first time in over a decade, a preemptive move aimed at extending the already record-long economic expansion. The Fed last Wednesday lowered its target for the key federal funds rate by a quarter percentage point. The move should decrease the cost of borrowing, including for credit cards, auto loans, and mortgages. uh, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell said the outlook for the U.S. economy remains favorable, and the action is designed to support that outlook. He described the rate cut as an insurance policy against potential speed bumps for the economy, including rising tide, trade tensions, and a slowdown in global growth. Although the rate cut has been widely telegraphed in advance of last week's announcement, the stock market reacted negatively to Powell's comments last week. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell more than 450 points before pairing its losses to close down 334 points, or 1.2%. The S&P 500 and the Nasdaq both fell more than 1%. That was last week. Yesterday, the market plunged more than 676, 600, 776 uh, points, and that was based on the current trade war happening with China. According to StreetEasy, in the current weak sales market, price cuts on New York City homes are rising. Yet, even as many listings go on sale from their original asking prices, few are actually lowering prices enough to attract buyers. The share of listings on StreetEasy receiving price cuts rose 32% in 2018. It remains elevated in 2019, with a third of all units active on StreetEasy through mid-June of this year having received cuts. Sellers slashed a record $3.2 billion from the asking prices of all homes on the market in 2018, roughly 10% of their total value. But their their look at the data suggests that while many sellers are willing to make small concessions on prices – These cuts are often too small and too late in the sales process to generate significant new buyer interest. With few sellers willing to make concessions really needed, either through the public price cuts or uh, private negotiations, New York City homes are lingering longer on the market and fewer are ultimately finding buyers. And finally this morning, on the corner of Woods Lane and Main Street in East Hampton Village, a historic mansion sits in full view of passersby. Its revered red geranium adorned windowsills serving as a familiar welcome to village visitors for decades. It is East Hampton's White House appropriately nicknamed for its appearance. and for the first time in thirty years, it is in search of a new owner. The property is listed for nine and a half million dollars and is being represented by Douglas Elman. The White House hit the market in May and it was originally asking twelve point five million. Last week, the price was reduced to nine point five million and is now attracting potential buyers. According to the agent, the house is iconic, and added, "You know you've arrived in East Hampton when you see the White House." And I got to tell you something; it's mm-hmm. been my dream for 25 years. Every time I walk past, I do it. I have yeah. <laughs> yeah. well, yeah. million dollars. I
2: know, Vince. You've <laughs> enough about that house. We I, I, I got to tell Vince. you something.
1: I was okay. very excited when I saw that it was on the marketplace. So you know. Who knows, maybe the, the what is it, Mega Millions or Powerball will <laughs> yes, come my way? Yeah,
3: both. Play your lucky
1: numbers, Oh, We'll all have a house. I like that okay, <laughs> trust me. All right, so our guests today are, first, Sarah Rada. She joined Halstead in the fall of 2011, and in her role as Executive Director of Sales, she is responsible for the continued success and strategic growth of the Village and Soho offices downtown for Halstead, along with President Richard Grossman. Sarah is both sincere and serious about building her agents' careers with her own extensive knowledge and experience as a former uh, agent and over 15 years of managing hundreds of agents. She excels as a manager who understands and challenges of making real estate a full-time career, and she still looks fabulous after all (laughs) that time. You do. At Halstead, Sarah serves on the Education Committee to contribute ideas to keep the curriculum both relevant and engaging. We're going to talk about that a little later. Most recently, she helped spearhead a wellness program to help uh, education, uh, to add health education, rather, to the firm's ongoing training platform. One of her greatest pleasures is serving as the co-team leader for Halstead's Helping Hand, a philanthropic foundation established to give back and better the daily lives of those in need through action-based support for local community-focused not-for-profits in the marketplace that Halstead serves on the corporate, local, and agent level." Also, we have Itzi Garay. She has joined Halstead in 2017 as direct Executive Director of Sales, and together with John Wolberg, Halstead's Executive Vice President and Managing Director, she is responsible for the day-to-day operations and strategic growth of the firm's Park Avenue office on the Upper East Side. With nearly two decades of real estate experience in New York City, Itzi boasts a successful and extensive track record as both an agent and a manager. Throughout her career, she has consistently been recognized because of her outstanding leadership, mentorship, and results. A 20-year resident of New York City, Itzy has lived all over Manhattan. This is like my bio. I've been all <laughs> yes, over. <I> have. <laughs> From the Upper West Side, Upper East Side, Murray Hill, Hell's Kitchen, and Tribeca. I mean, it's a... Complete match.
3: And now I'm in Brooklyn. And now you're in
1: Brooklyn. Well, that, that, that's next. Perfect. She currently resides yeah. in Brooklyn with her two year old son, dog, and husband. Her personal passions include travel with a goal to visit all seven continents. I love that one too. <laughs> and giving back as a big supporter of St. Jude's Children Research Hospital. I cry every time I see that commercial. Marla yeah, Thomas. I know, me too. I die. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Love that family. Anyway, and finally, Juliet Clapp with more than 14 years of experience. Juliet is recognized throughout the real estate industry as a uh, thought leader. In the field, first as a top-selling agent, then as a sales director of the year, recognizing her excellence as a manager. Juliet possesses a winning balance of energy, professionalism, and expertise. Over the years, she has completed more than $1 billion worth of real estate transactions. Go, girl. All right. Holy smokes. (laughs) This can be attributed to her exceptional level of market expertise and keen understanding of client services that inspires those around her. Prior to working in real estate, Juliet's background in financial planning established a foundation for working effectively with people toward reaching their goals. She also previously served as vice president of a technology startup company, which she helped take public. A native New Yorker, Juliette is passionate about supporting her agents, building a strong team, and providing Halstead's customers with the highest level of service. We're happy to have Juliet on board with us, too. So, welcome yeah. and good morning, everybody. Good
3: morning. Good morning. We good
1: morning. also have J.K. Overby from Halstead and Matthew Cohen, also from Halstead. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. it's not a bro show, but it's a Halstead show. Uh,
2: so, it, it, I mean, it is what it is. And what Vincent says, how beautiful all three women are. Jay's okay, too, but like, yeah. <laughs> that's cute about the women. And they're a
1: lot Thank
4: of fun. You. <laughs>
1: Listen, just by sending the show card out this week, I can't tell you how many emails I got saying, who are those ladies? Oh. <laughs> I'm like That's I work kind. with them, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Let's talk about um, uh, the Upper East Side, for example. So lured in part by the Second Avenue subway, and believe me, I lived on the. I left the Upper East Side 21 years ago because of a lack of transportation, and I moved to the West Side because I was working downtown. I needed to get there quickly, and the Number Six train. I used to have to wait, you mm. know, three and four times to get on that train. Yes. It was a disaster. So, you know, anyway, so lured by the the, the new 2nd Avenue subway, developers are erecting high-rises in Yorkville, Mm -hmm. the Upper East Side. Some residents say the buildings are erasing the community's character. You know, we always go through this, and no matter what what neighborhoods we gentrify, but Mm -hmm. up there, they kind of had a real solid feeling of community, I think maybe more than others. A dozen towers with sale prices or rents, as lavish as their amenities, have opened in the past five years and are nearing completion in the neighborhood once celebrated for its homespun migrant and uh, Eastern Mid- uh, European character. So basically, what I want to get at is, so as all of these neighborhoods, in particular, this one in Yorkville, Upper East Side, what, you know, why do people struggle, I guess, with dealing with change? We're all used to Living the kind of lives we live, we liked our fishmonger, as we said at the top of the show, when the diner goes in and everybody says hello to you, whatever. Mm-hmm. But things change. Big high-rise towers come on uh, on the scene, and so many more people come into the neighborhood that it gets a little overwhelming. What do you think is a major you know, detriment in people's minds to acceptance of all of this? Because it happens in every neighborhood, right? We're highlighting Upper East today, but it's all over the place.
4: Well, I think one thing, too, about the Upper East side... Is that it also it not only is it all the high rises coming in, but in addition, they also had the second avenue subway being built for such a long period of time. Right. So they almost mm-hmm. got like double whammied yeah. up there, you know. So I think that was a lot for one neighborhood to take in that period of time. Um and I think there's pros and cons to both. I think when you have all these new buildings coming in, now that's gonna raise potential value for other properties and similar in the area as well. In addition, what follows with all that building is high-end retail. Uh, We saw a lot of that on the Upper West Side when we built 15 CPW. Then what came after was the retail, which was, you know, Magnolia Bakery, Boulade, you know, so it changes the dynamics. There's pros and cons. The other side is we love the community feel. We love the mom and pops, right? And that is, you know, also who I am. I love the mom and pops. And
5: um, so I think there's pros and cons to both. Yeah. You know, I, I actually used to live on 84th and 3rd, and I used to take my dog all the way east um, to the park and the water and the thing that I appreciated the most about that neighborhood was how quiet it was and I understand you know it was like kind of like the Battery Park City almost of the Upper East Side and it was very quiet there and it was kind of like a sanctuary I think for the pe- the residents there and now with more tr- foot traffic changing retail. Change is hard for people but it it is a necessary. Um, evil, so to speak, when you live in the city because you know, you have growing population and growing demand with that. so it, it with is little so land
3: yeah. <laughs> with l- little land. I think what um a lot of people, I think are most upset about would also be that neighborhood community vibe where you people know you, you go to your local coffee, you know, your local coffee shop, or like they said, the fishmonger. And there's that, you know, your neighbors, and you say hello, and you see each other, you lose that when you bring in so many new people, it's like, all of a sudden, everybody becomes anonymous and that community. Feeling is gone.
1: Well, but, you know, I was just going to say, I moved to the Upper West so, Side 20, 20 years ago and I have to search high and low, and Jay, you're in the same neighborhood as me. I don't have a bakery any longer. I don't have a fishmonger any longer. I don't have a meat guy any longer. I mean, yeah. I, there's none of that stuff, and we don't have near the, the, the development as as that is going on now in the Upper East Side. Anyway, we've got to take a break. Uh, after the break, we're going to talk about price strategies and why sellers and buyers s- still seem to be so far apart. But first, this is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We are coming right back, so don't go away.
0: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
6: At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We are all about the power of transformation. We are revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders, so you can move to what moves you.
7: I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to
8: life. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area. And now, proudly serving as the official luxury estate firm of the New York Yankees.
0: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to good morning new york real estate with vince rocco if you want to call into the program we're toll free in north america at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 now back to the show before
1: we get back, we get back to the upper east side conversation hot off the presses the amenity list for two uh, 220 central park west just landed a compelling addition John George will manage a 54-seat residence-only restaurant on the second floor of the Midtown Residential Skyscraper. The 67-story uh, tower was designed by Robert A.M. Stern Architects and contains 593,000 square feet of interior space. Uh, Vernado uh, Realty Trust is the developer of the $1.4 billion project and expects a $3.4 billion sellout. And finally, that building is looking like something. But can you imagine John George, private resident dining room only?
2: Fancy. Fancy, fancy. In my next life. I actually
5: <laughs> met him once. He's a really nice guy. I did too <laughs> yeah. on Central Park West.
2: Yeah. Talk about a new goal for me. New goal <laughs> is to be invited on a date at that restaurant <laughs> like, like, you have never been to John my my No no Men no like listen at up. oh that Central <laughs> like, Please. Yeah. Matthew, just just manifested, buddy. I mean, well, when I'll put it in my marketing material. <laughs>
9: <laughs> when you're looking vision
1: on board. Tinder, see if any, any, anybody is living there. All right. Continuing our <laughs> conversation of watching New York City neighborhoods fade away, and I say fade away sort of with a heavy heart because I mean, like Juliet said before the the break, you know, I'm a mom and pop person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, every time I walk up and down my neighborhood on the Upper West Side, I, it's kind of like almost every day something else disappears. And what's interesting, you know, things aren't reappearing as quickly as they used to in the past. One restaurant out, one restaurant in. One right. this store yeah, out, one this store there's a lot of vacancy going on here. And Matthew, you mentioned at the top, uh, at the end of the last segment, that um, at the top end of Second Avenue, the higher uh, even, 80s and 90s, the it's 70s, really desolate.
2: I mean, you walk around, it's it's empty. A lot of, you know, retail is just, it's, it's sparse. But I, I will say, like, on an optimistic side, you know, what is interesting about the Upper East Side as opposed to, say, you know, when people used to talk about that, like, the village and Williamsburg mm-hmm. lost its neighborhoodiness mm-hmm. as the building kind of, you know— stretched too far like it went over that hill Um, the Upper East Side has is one of the biggest neighborhoods in the whole city like we forget how big that landmass is so I guess what is interesting about it is that you know you have I always think you have like three different neighborhoods there you have Lenox Hill you know, you have you have West of Lex yes. and then you have Carnegie Hill. So I know we well, not even like Carnegie Hill, Yorkville. So I think that Lenox Hill is actually very neighborhoody. I, I don't think that's changed. And you had horrible, ugly buildings like Manhattan House built there. So I think if it could withstand Manhattan House, well, Manhattan, like I think but, that but, I actually but, am very
1: confident <laughs> yeah. in Yorkville. But, but they've spruced up the, at least the outside of that Manhattan House yes. building. I mean, they've re- redone yeah. the entire facade. Yeah, it's that's, that's like, still kind uh, of a <laughs> nice or my aunt and uncle yeah. live
2: across the street <laughs> Well, listen, nice but, but but
1: just to clarify, west of Lexington Avenue is what we consider or have called for decades here the Gold Coast. So, there are yes. Many, yes. many, many different yeah, neighborhoods amazing, in the upper region.
2: Outside of just north of uh, Washington Square Park, yeah. which I mean, is correct. also considered Gold yeah. yeah. Coast. Well, regard- there
1: are people in this town who only survive south of Washington mm-hmm. Square Park. So, that's another whole story. Go ahead.
9: I was going to say, regarding Yorkville, um, I mean, I love the progress up there. But my... Question is, and I think this is the question we've had for years, is that as this happens, can we strike a balance with mom and pops in retail?
1: Well, I mean, even with new
9: developments, I think it's great. I think I think that they, that they need this growth. We expected this growth. At the same time, you know, new buildings, a lot of them have to create. Inclusionary housing mm-hmm. Correct You know New buildings have to create As much as 30% <laughs> yeah. Why can't they create mm-hmm. A that's- formula To protect those mom and pops That I think That's really the heart Of what we're talking about Right,
4: right? The retail component There the can be a great
9: blend <laughs> Of of the tax base You're creating up there And yeah. at the same time You know Keeping the traditional places Up there That everybody find Is such a rich fabric and that's well, why, that's the thing that makes well, me a little sad. Let let let's talk about that because that's a great point. And
1: for years, I kind of fantasized with the thought of well, why can't we put up a tall skys- skyscraper and bring back the mom and pop that we displaced at the base of the building in the retail area? So, I mean, just kind of think about that. How well received would great that idea. be? Yeah, yeah, it's a great idea. But how well received would that be with the new luxury deluxe, you know, tenants, so to speak, or condo owners in these buildings? I'm not so sure that would we'll go over too well because right. it's all you. it brings in a whole different, I, I hate to use the word, but a whole different class of people. Class meaning in their head, not mm-hmm. anything else. <laughs> so I, I'm kind of like, I would love that. I'd love to see that. I'm not so sure that's going to come to fruition.
2: But I think there are uh, ways around that. I mean, I will say that, you know on the new development side, developers are definitely more conscious than they ever were about trying to make buildings part of the neighborhood more. I mean, um, you know, Frederick's project on 12th, a (laughs) a year or two ago, that was a really good example. Like they left retail there to actually have mom and pop. So I I think they're trying, but to your point, it is really hard with the residents who will be buying there. But, you know, I I walk past a new development um, that was built within the last five years that has a bath and biscuits. So like that's maybe like, like yeah. A good middle ground, yeah. Like I think there yeah, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I think it's out there, it's just about actually. I think, I know, think as we executing. gentrify
1: or continue to gentrify and we keep moving, you know, forward with all this, we're not going to stop the new glass tower development. I mean, that's just not going to happen. So, maybe with some local uh, uh, startups or, or local groups, you know, kind of pushing for the mom and pops to come back, what do they say? You know, retail always usually follows a yeah, brand new yes, development site, yes. so yes. let's just make sure it's the right retail. I mean, you know, if I see another <laughs> CVS or a <laughs> Reed, Reade. Right, that's exactly or right. The right yeah, the totally,
3: banks. You yeah. don't want another bank. That's I that's don't so want true. another
1: bank. I mean, I can go to five yeah. banks in, in, in a four-block yeah. radius in my, in my neighborhood, and it's kind of crazy. But just to clarify, New Yorkville is the neighborhood bounded by either 72nd or 79, depending on who you're talking to, up to 96th Street mm-hmm. and east of Lexington Avenue, yeah. all the way to the river. So, as Matt said before, there are so many different, you know, areas of the mm-hmm. Upper East Side. Uh, and people have their, you know, their druthers, and of course that that, it's always based on school districts. Um, so, do you feel like um, there is overdevelopment on the Upper East or in Yorkville more so than in other neighborhoods, or is it kind of on par with what? You know, has been stated for the past four years. Well, five I think years.
3: it's um, <clears throat> it's hard to compare it to some other neighborhoods. Like Matt said before, it's a much larger area. Landscape. So you can't, it's a larger landscape. So you can't compare it to the West Village, for example. Right. Um, so I think that's something to consider. And another positive is it does bring in, when the, we do these new developments, a portion, usually 20%, is for modest or low-income um. Uh, residents. So eighty uh, twenty rule, yeah. The eighty yeah. twenty rule. And I think that's also something that's a positive for that. And so it helps that and we know we have a shortage of housing mm-hmm. so for them. So I think that you know you have to look at the all aspects in the big picture of everything.
8: It's,
2: it brings up a good point. I think that if you actually look at how large the Upper East Side is, if you think of the ratio mm-hmm. of new development, I, I'm actually surprised that there isn't more. And with mm-hmm. the 2nd Avenue subway, I'm surprised there wasn't more of it. I mean, at the time, you had, you know, 389, 89th, you had Citizen 360, like you had the Charles. I mean, Charles, when you yeah, guys yeah. were at town, yeah. they, they launched the, the Citizen Charles. Is, like, Citizen I think,
1: is sold out by now, isn't it? Or I think that
2: 389 have like four or five units left. Yeah. Um, but you know, you look at areas like the Upper West or, quote-unquote, Midtown West, which I'm now saying because, like, I don't consider where Waterline Square is the Upper West. Um, <laughs> yeah. But that's massive Stretching development. The boundaries. So a yeah. lot on, on that like one. It's like sure. massive. I mean, that, those were, like, yes. eight buildings in one spot. Yeah. So, it, it is surprising that you don't have more, I think. And talk about an area where retail was oh, nothing. That reminds and now me of Long, Long Island. Retail, city also. also,
4: look at Billionaire's Row. Yeah. I mean, that was but intense. Building. Remember, they limit.
9: They're smartly, they limit. Mm-hmm where you can build towers. Yes. yes. So you have to be on those avenues. So not only that, you have to find the the, the correct, uh, <laughs> you, you have to find the opportunity, right, right in terms of uh, purchasing zoning that. Permanent. And there's also yeah.
1: zoning, you know, height yes. and, you know, the 200 oh, yeah. Amsterdam Avenue, which is one mm-hmm. of Halstead's projects is going through, although I, I think completed now, but drama over right, how true. tall that building could be. Are we taking 15 stories off the building after it's completed? Mm-hmm. I mean, all that nonsense. And another one that I'm going to be representing on the Upper East Side on Third Avenue Uh, Work stoppage for three months because of, you know, did we break the law? Did we not pay attention to zoning, even though it was approved four times? You know, the community uh, outreach uh, folk, you know, are fighting it, but that's been solved. Um, Yeah. So, you know, at the end of the day, like I said before, we're not going to change what's happening. It's called progress. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to, you know, kind of just deal with it. And hope that the, the marketplace turns around a little bit and uh, we get to sell some of these faster than ever. All right, mm-hmm. moving on. Sellers may be tempted mm-hmm. to price their listings aggressively at first, then rely uh, on price cuts to draw, <laughs> to draw <laughs> interest if buyers fail to materialize. But the data, however, does not support the wisdom of that strategy. Sure. Just, okay, we'll it just doesn't. So the numbers are worse for StreetEasy. And this is this one really surprised me last week when I was researching. The numbers are worse for StreetEasy users messaging agents, okay? We put a listing up and we get messages, you know, from consumers, okay. other brokers out there. But they're saying the numbers are worse for users messaging agents about a particular home. Just 34% of homes with a price cut received a bump in messages, okay? You reduce the price and you're getting very little bump up in emails to brokers. Um after the price cut, a substantial majority of price cuts, 66%, did not have an increase in message to agents. So the broader picture um, painted here by users' activity shows that price cuts are unlikely to have a significant impact on buyer interest in the property. In other words, if you snooze, you lose, guys. Yep. Yeah. So that's my 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 theory. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, I think um, you know one thing we've been talking a lot about in our offices is really pricing right out of the mm-hmm. gate. This is not the market yes. to test. This is also, we've gone through a transition market, right, where we're becoming more stable. And right now, when you are working with your owners, it is vital to truly study the sub-markets, really know what's happening in the market. Agents are working very differently today than they were two years ago, and I think that when they are pricing, getting out of the gate, best you know, strongest way possible, that is the name of the game, and it's important for us to truly express that to our owners. Um, that is in their best interest to get the highest value for their property.
5: And I think also, yeah. you know, pricing is an art and a science, so. A lot of times brokers and or owners will price things based on what is on the market, which is not a, a real way to price something. You have to see what is actually working. And and I always say that you look at the apartments that are in contract because that is the true uh, test or barometer of what is connecting a buyer and a seller. And I think also, you know, to your point of, you of, um, Uh, clicks when a price is reduced. I think we also have to look at where we are right now. We're in the summer months. In general, in the city, the buyers are just not out there like they have been um, in the past summer markets that I've noticed, it's just it's much quieter. yeah, <laughs> but we did have a very good spring mm-hmm. um fantastic. we really did. And I think what I've noticed, i I did um a study downtown of of um like in the village area, what the activity looked like based on original asking price versus, Uh, last asking price versus sold price. And what I noticed was with pre-war and post-war apartments, for the most part, apartments were selling about 14% under what they originally asked Mm. for. Once they got within 7% of their asking price sorry, the sold price to the uh, last asking price, that was what got the apartment to sell. That was so a that price. was like the, the yeah. lucky number yeah. or, or the magic number was 7% that's about right. within the yeah. value. Yeah. That is what will get a buyer to engage with that seller.
1: I said at the top of the show, buyers are looking for 10%, but I agree with you, Sarah, because I'm seeing that on the uh, the building on the east side I'm working in. It's about 7% that's oh, nice. doing the deal and it's been like that now for a while. All right, we've got to... Uh, Take a break. Stick around. We are live from Smash Studios in Hudson Yards. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We will be right back. Don't go away.
0: Stimulating talk. Gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
6: at halstead we know that what moves you is important we are all about the power of transformation we're revolutionizing the way people live and work we are agents of change we are the deal makers we are the fearless negotiators we are the future builders so you can move to what moves you
7: I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life.
0: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, real estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Hey everybody, we are back with Matthew Cullen from Halstead, J.K. Overby from Halstead. J.K. I JK,
5: J.K. I've been calling him J.K.O. J-K-O
2: for a year. <laughs>
5: because he K's everyone out. <laughs> everybody.
2: <laughs> Sarah Rada from I
6: call Rata you JK? H- I also pitch.
2: It also sounds even That's better cool. after my I, generic name. i call calling
9: J.K.O. <laughs> I was a pitcher once.
1: <laughs> Sarah Rada from Halstead, Juliet Clab from Halstead, and Itzy Garay from Halstead as well. Okay, so... In this crazy hectic world of real estate in New York City, we as agents sometimes we have ups and we have downs and we have good days, we have bad days, good markets, bad markets, et cetera. And so that kind of sends us into, you know, crazy tizzies and you guys as managers know because yes. your agents <laughs> come yeah. into you all the time <laughs> Daily. and complain daily. Yep. So Our you know, money. my question it <laughs> minute by minute minutes, <laughs> yeah. minutes. So, how about the positive <laughs> the
8: positive effects? <laughs> <all> love, Julia, <laughs> of incorporating oh, no. oh. more
1: of the human side of things. So, you know, my question is, how mm. do you how do you how do you do that? Well, you know, what do you say to your agents when let's take this particular market that is not such a great market and sure. there's lots of ups and downs? You know, what do you tell agents to do? Sarah said before, it's summertime, so it's kind of like everybody's on pause anyway, just naturally. So maybe it's time to take a trip. Maybe it's time to take a vacation. But what do you, how do you counsel people when they come in and say, oh my God, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing.
4: I think you truly have to empathize. Um, and really, and I think being a broker in the past mm-hmm. uh, kind of helps as well because mm-hmm. you've been yeah, there. Definitely. You know, I remember definitely. one time I lost three deals in one week, and yeah, when well, well, your feet on the street, exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I'm like, same. feel it, you know, and then brush it off and get back in the game. Um, so I think really understanding where they're at and really trying to help them, you know, get their deals done. And you know, I think you're working more deeply with your agents yeah. is really important. But at the same time, there's other things I think we can do culturally for our agents. For example, you know, we have our helping hands. We do giving back back. But also we do a lot of wellness stuff in our office. We do things like meditation. We mm-hmm. did a wellness fair. And then also let's have some fun. So Friday we're all going on a scavenger hunt mm-hmm. at the Museum of Natural History. You know, mm-hmm. so get them out of their world for Where's a little money? bit. Let them have what a good time. What are you time. hunting for? No. Oh, scavenger. Hunt. We don't know yet. We don't know yet. Oh, no. there's our invitation. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> come on, everybody's well, welcome. I want to find your
2: Mez <laughs> blanket. <laughs> like, I'll come. I'm
9: going to crash that. Yeah.
1: Talk a little bit though about the wellness stuff because I yeah. know no, you know, that that's near and dear to my heart. Giving back, I mean, my God, that that's it's so important. I mean it makes us feel good, and it makes many other people feel good. But talk a little bit about that because that I think is worth, you know, spending a few minutes on.
5: Yeah. So there oh, <laughs> Sarah <laughs> just spelled there. Um, she so, was so
2: in her she was wellness.
5: That she <laughs> you know, there there's uh, a well known saying that um, success happy people are more successful right. mm-hmm. and i think it's important when you have anyone we we live in a city that is very intense and and competitive and it's really our job as i think as a company and as um managers to really set the tone in our offices and in our company and make sure that the agents know that we're there for them and help them redirect their anxiety or whatever their negative thought patterns are into something that is more productive. Empathizing with them and then redirecting them into the solution. I think that that's (coughs) the most important part. But doing things like meditation, helping them literally slow down the brainwave frequency Take a minute, breathe, and appreciate what they have, just their body, their breath, their you know, whatever it is that they enjoy in their lives. It's important to take stock on that. And then everything around that has more measure and uh, relative meaning. it doesn't it doesn't feel as big and as tragic when you lose something when you know, that you have your health and you have a wonderful yes. environment mm. around you. So I think that that's really important. And and just one thing I'll I'll also say is that in general people feel aligned with a company when they have three things: it's autonomy, mastery, and meaning. And meaning is the part that is not always so easy to incorporate. And a lot of companies put that aside. But I think Hallstead for sure, in particular, you know the people that work in In that environment, are attracted to it because we provide that. So I
1: yeah. wanted to get a little bit into into yeah. culture because we are known. You and I talked about this a little bit yesterday. Yes. We are known, sort of, you know, for the the company out there with a very strong and undeniable culture. <clears throat> and it's one of the things that I've always related to, you know in in all the years that I've worked at Halstead, left and then came back and still feel like I've never left before for that same reason. How do you marry that culture within our company? to all of this wellness stuff, do you think it helps that that we feel so good working at Halstead that we want to branch out and do other things, or is it just kind of one of those things?
4: No, I think it feels good every day walking into that type of environment, and it starts from our top, you know, like Diane Ramirez Mm -hmm. is beyond an incredible human being, not just a force to be reckoned with in Mm -hmm. our industry, so I think that that follows suit with all of us, and I also think with the size of our company as well, we can still have that tight culture very effectively where some, you know, if a company's too big, it's hard to maintain that. Mm. So I think that has become a blessing for us. And I think that when you really go to work, you feel good being here. You also work with good people every day. And then you have, the wellness that you're bringing in. It's like you're so proud to just be here. And that's how I feel.
3: And there's also, um, you mentioned earlier, Halstead Helping Hands, which is something I think that Sarah uh, founded. Now we co-run uh, that. But we do something. There's different initiatives that we'll do throughout the year. And one that's coming up is Operation Backpack. And that's open mm-hmm. for the whole company to come in and give their time. And there have been studies done about giving back and um donating your time and i'm not talking money but time and and giving back to people in need and this is an organi- this this event in particular when we did it last year it was so touching to me and i know everyone that attended that day all our agents felt like you felt good because you were doing something tangible that was helping someone else and so we were putting backpacks together for homeless children that don't have the basics they need for education and when when we finished that day there was a huge i mean thousands of backpacks in a pile and I looked at that pile, and I was like, each of those backpacks represents a child, and it was so meaningful. Touching, it was yeah. so touching, touching. Yeah. and all the agents that um, participated last year, everyone said it was the, they loved it. They had so much fun. We were together, enjoying time together, but we were doing something good. So. That's also wellness because that makes you feel good inside mm. when you're giving back to other people, and I think those are ways when we talk about culture or when you have a larger company or a smaller. Co- but that's something everyone can be part of. Mm. And as a matter of fact, we had to change our date this year because we had too many people that wanted to to volunteer. So
1: you do um, get a, a huge turnout, and I see that all the time yeah. when, when you do these things. It, it's just, it's just a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. So what's the PS of you know the wellness campaign and the meditation and the and the and the, just the the happy giving back and the culture. What, what's the PS to the story for those out there who are listening around the world who don't necessarily know so, our particular company?
9: I, I was going to say from a <clears> broker standpoint. <throat> first of all, there's two things I want to say real quick uh, on the the great feedback. Uh, and from the broker side, I'll say two things about Halstead. And I think perhaps in life, at the risk of being sappy, number one, integrity. Be I've sappy. I've always Absolutely. felt integrity at yeah. Halstead. Oh my God, yeah. Number one. Number two, it's heartfelt. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, my wife and I talk about this all the time. It's like, who in our sphere are most heartfelt? Those are the people that we want to connect mm-hmm. with and be with. Mm-hmm. And you can apply that to your friends, your family, and your clients every single day. So, so um, I, I want Listen, to say that.
1: I, grew, I joined Holstead 17 years ago, and I have made lifelong very dear friends yeah, from that great. company. It's a special place. It's and special I've place. been saying that all of these years, even when I was absent for a couple of years. Hey, and my,
2: and, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, my, my mentor used to say two big things to me. He would say, first on the agent side, and we had this conversation, I remember when I was feeling, uh, years ago, I was feeling burnout. And we all experience it as agents, um, some more than others at times. And he said to me, you know, it's great to work hard and to be successful. But on the wellness side, you also have to take care of yourself. And you have to know, especially in a market like we're in right now, you know, go away for a few days, like, don't worry about it. And I mean, I'm, you know, I'm the worst at saying this, because I don't take my own advice. But you know, it it is important to know when to take a break, because you'll miss that when you are super busy. Mm -hmm. Um, And he also used to say to me that, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of these real estate firms are very similar to one another. Um, but you choose which one you want to be at based on the environment because who you're around, especially in a business like this, it's all about energy and yeah, feeling exactly. and emotion. Yeah. And that's what you go to your clients with. Mm-hmm. And so you want it to, the base of that, to start from a good place. And I, mean, I think Halstead
3: has that.
4: And you know, you feel good when you work with good people every day. You know, like that is the key. You know, that's what gets you up out of bed, you know? Yeah. Um, So, I'm thankful for that.
3: Vince, just to answer, you said to people around the world or people that are listening, anybody can do any of these things. You could take your entire office and say, let's just go Mm -hmm. for a walk. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't have to be something that you have to spend a lot of money to do. It doesn't, you can find a local charity or organization and say, let's take an afternoon and go to a soup kitchen. So, these are, so anyone anywhere in the world can find a way to do something with the people they work with to just kind of remove yourself from the stress of the, you know, your daily life and give back. So
1: I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. All right. Moving on. Also changing the face. And we talked about this a little bit before uh, in the neighborhoods of the closing of the small, you know, decades old mom and pop stores, as we call it. But here, the, here's interesting. A candidate who's running for president on the Democratic side just last week during the uh, debates, um, Stated that Amazon and its monopoly of online shopping for everything is killing retail in New York City and everywhere. Amazon pays zero federal taxes, and the mom and pop or the retail stores pay too much. Now we all, I, you know, I, we've talked about this, you know, on this program before. How significant, though, do you feel? I mean, you look. Listen, when I need something, the first place I jump to is Amazon, sure. right? Because I'm going to get it the next day. I'm going to get it within two days. I don't have to leave Please. my house to do it. It's easy. But when you peel back the onion on that, how it affects our urban living and how it affects our mom-and-pop stores
9: or any store in general. Look at all the bookstores that have closed through the years, right? I was going to say, if you don't believe it's happening in real estate, you just need to look at what's happening with condos and co-ops and what they have to do to their lobbies. Mm-hmm. Right. They've had to retrofit their lobbies to expand them two, three, four, mm-hmm. four different ways. So if you don't believe it's happening, just look at. There are nights I walk
1: building. home in my lobby. I have to walk around boxes because we. I live in a pre-war and we do yes. not have room oh, for a package room yeah, that we I never had it. package rooms before. Right.
2: But then just so the just cage. to play devil's advocate, I mean, I, I come from a mostly commercial real estate family. So my my family who's in retail uh, in retail leasing, they. They always say that there's always going to be a time and a day and a place for every store, even with, you know, conglomerates like Amazon. I mean, if it was, you know, I was talking to my uncle the other day and he said something like, one day Amazon will take over the world. I don't doubt that for a second. (laughs) I think Jeff Bezos is amazing. But, you know. Places like places like Morton Williams and Cinderellas and you know all these these stores or and grocery stores that maintain their business and and not only remain business they're opening new stores. I found. I mean, there is a time and a place for those too. Like, there's always going to be those. You know. 20 to 50 year olds who are going out at night and like at 2 a.m. want to go have a slice of pizza. pizza like they're not yes. going to Amazon it. I promise you that. <laughs> so like I just think that there will always be a time and place for it. It's just about maintaining that balance.
1: All right. We have to take a break. Uh, in our next block, we're going to talk about we're going from Jeff Bezos to Gary Burnett. We are live from Smash Studios here in Hudson Yards. The we will be right back right after these messages. <laughs> <I'm not laughs>
0: the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com
6: At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the Future Builders, so you can move to what moves you.
7: I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life.
8: It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters, performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury Estate firm of the New York Yankees.
0: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to good morning new york real estate with vince rocco if you want to call into the program we're toll free in north america at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 now back to the show okay
1: everybody we're back for our final block and uh, one of the city's leading developers gary burnett who completed a nearly 400 foot building on Third Avenue in Yorkville is planning three more tall towers in the neighborhood, and he said uh, new buildings must be high because land in Manhattan is finite, and I think it's he uh, re- referenced that earlier, and it's expensive. He says, "Would you have a New York? Would you have a New York City that doesn't build anymore? People move in and say no more development, but is this what you want? We're a city of eight million people. We're not a little village." Okay, Mr. Gary Barnett. <laughs> Much of the grumbling, Mr. Barnett added, is driven by wealthy Upper East Siders who want to keep everybody else
2: out. Mm. <laughs> You know, the, I mean, uh, you know, know this, this comes to, you know, Gary is the kind of guy that makes a splash. He doesn't come in and like builds a building to make it look like the neighborhood. Like he, you know, 157, one Manhattan Square, the Kent, like these don't fit into those neighborhoods. They truly make a splash. I think, I think where development is going is actually the other side. I think it's those buildings that really do. Fit in. I mean, what's great about, I used to love, um, you know, working in development over the last few years because we did a lot of projects with Robert Stern and, and Robert Stern has a way, he definitely has a look like it's very, you know, it's him, mm-hmm. but he has a way of making buildings that for some reason don't stick out. They actually blend, blend. pretty blend. well, yeah, I love yeah. him. you know, yeah. so I think that's where development's going. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, we well aside from <laughs> aside from what Gary is doing, you're saying you're going to get yes. more stern stuff.
2: Okay, like uh, I just think that most developers well, are going to try more to be more with the neighborhood, depending obviously on what the neighborhood is. Like Billionaires Row is all about making a splash. Like, I mean, Highline is all about being fancy and and different and Zaha. You I'd know? like to
9: think that uh, you have a responsibility as an architect or a developer to be contextual with the neighborhood. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. that's it. That's a whole, whole long. Topic, but um
1: well, yeah, you, I agree. You're, with it. you're you're right, and your point about Hudson Yards during the commercial break was spot right on. And it's like, so how do they miss, Jay, or why do they miss? Maybe that's a two day answer, but I mean, really,
2: why do they miss? But then well, also remember, like bad. you have a you have a million neighborhoods in New York City. Every neighborhood's development is totally different. Like people have their choice. I mean, again, West Chelsea, you have like Bjork Engels and Zaha Hadid, who were making it completely different than what's. It's very artsy. It's very, you know, um, on Zaha, brand. Hadid it's, needs to go develop in another world. <laughs> 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 well, she, well, she did. Their stuff is horrible. Rest in peace. Um, yeah. So yeah. I think, I just think there's something for everyone.
9: In this. My, my, my question to you, Vince, uh, to respond to your question is <laughs> like how question is Hudson question. Yards contextual to New York? And I'll say this, that look at what they did with rock center. Now I'm not that old, but I know historically what they did was an amazing complex, correct? And it and it fits in. It's got historical elements. It all seems to flow in its own way. And my question is, how does Hudson Yards do that? We, we, it doesn't, and I yeah, and I doesn't. think I think what the thought
1: behind the the design and the development of that project was to uh, bring over as many foreign uh, international buyers as possible because they have a certain type of building that they look for. They don't really care about neighborhood. They want to be very high up in a building. They want views. Great to see the Hudson River. Great to see Central Park, you know, in some of those higher floor apartments. That's, I believe, I could be very wrong, but I think that's what it was designed for. So when you get up to three and four or five buildings already in a a space of very little land... It looks like it's, you know, uh, Dubai. There's as, also as a lot of said.
4: commercial there too, right? There's a lot right, of commercial. So there's going to be so a lot so of there's commercial. There's yeah. residential and commercial all mixed can't into can't one area. Um, right. And I think you're right. I think it's attracting the non-New Yorker. I mean, I think it really yeah. was to attract the foreigners. And it's uh, having, interesting
1: because they're doing well, but the foreign buyers have kind of ceased at the moment. Correct, so I don't really yeah. understand. Go ahead. Yeah, that's so a good
4: point.
2: having worked for Related, their strategy was, you know, they're, they're all about building new neighborhoods. They're not about building something for someone. Absolutely. They, they build, that's what they, like, Jeff Blau really aims to build a new neighborhood. I mean, you know, what they did at Time Warner. Like, think about that area yes. before that was built. That there was It was really desolate, almost. It was like this awkward middle ground between Midtown and the Upper West. You know, they really created West Chelsea. Like, they came in before it was 100%. anything, and it was gas stations, and they decided this is going to be the next neighbor, hot neighborhood in New York. And so they tried to do the same thing with Hudson Yards and and extending the Seven Train and and taking you know thirteen years to build it. I'm um, I'm intrigued to see what'll happen to that whole area once Manhattan West is finished. I'm because that that huge sure. monstrosity of a building that just sits there that never finishes. <laughs> um, I am excited to see what happens because there's a there's a ton of corporations moving into that yes. building. It'll be interesting. All
1: right, let let let's end the 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 block and the show today on this last note and and some projections uh, predictions. According to the Maya report from Corcoran, July's closings were so low, you could hear crickets chirping. We had a robust June because we had yeah. a July 1st, you know, yeah. mansion tax date. Mansion tax <laughs> <laughs> Concerned that the numbers could be incorrect. They used three reliable sources because they didn't believe their own research, okay? <laughs> Urban Digs, Corcoran's In-House <laughs> Database, and then StreetEasy. The findings in all three were the numbers are not just low. They are record-breaking low. Whoa. First time in real estate history in New York City. Forget the doom and gloom. How do we turn this around, and what is your predici- prediction Prediction. For now, through the end of the year.
4: When they are saying it's the lowest in July, I think is I, th- I think what they mean by that, or I think what's happened is I think a lot of closings got pushed, right? They tried to do it earlier because yeah. of the mansion tax. So I think that was just a natural course to follow. It's going. I
1: agree with you, and it's going right. to be interesting to see what August.
4: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. be a be- better indicator. Yeah. I just right. think
5: that was like a snippet. You know, I don't think. But that's I, awful. I think the fall is going to be tr- is going to be tricky because the summer has been quiet. Mm-hmm. So. The fall is going to, closing-wise, is going to be an indication of the activity in the summer. So I think, really, what we need to look at is the first quarter of 2020, Mm -hmm. because that's going to be the indication of how the fall market was. And that's usually, there's usually a little, uh, yeah, Mm -hmm.
3: exactly. I think that there is always opportunity. And I think the smart people out there will look and find the opportunities that exist. And right now, interest rates are extremely low Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of opportunity. So I say look for the opportunity. I do see us still staying sort of at this stable, you know, in the market that we're in for a little bit. Um, and next year we'll see. We have an election year coming up, mm-hmm. so there's 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 a lot of stuff the happening. Talk of but recession
4: potentially. Yeah, yeah.
3: So I think, um, but there's opportunity. You know, uh, that's what a lot of people did back in two thousand and eight. You mm-hmm. know, they they seized those moments. So I'm seeing amazing, amazing deals right now. So just yeah. look for the opportunity when no one's buying. Mm-hmm. That is the time to buy. Yes,
6: yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> it's I, that I, could,
1: I, that that couldn't be any any. Further, I mean, that is so true, but, you know, sometimes trying to get buyers to buy and I could strangle people I was with last night. But anyway, go ahead,
2: Matt. And on what Itzy said, I mean, I personally find this market fascinating because, you know, July was the best interest rates all year so far. I mean, they they dipped it. It was either the third or fourth week of July. They dipped so much. And to still have Mm -hmm. the lowest number of contracts signed, I mean, myself... I, you know, have been working with a bunch of buyers who we were really actively looking through July, and they kind of were figuring it out and taking their time. And now they're all pulling the trigger in like the beginning of August. So right. I don't know. I think it's. I think people look at interest rates, It's all about perception, right? Our, our business is all about perception, not what's actually happening. Always I is, always, always say always so. Yes I think. I think buyers think, oh my god, interest rates are amazing. I'm gonna like. I'm gonna pull the trigger and I'm gonna start looking, and then they start looking. And then they say, "Well, I have time. Yes. Like no one's There's pushing no me. Like, is yeah. this interest yeah. rate really going to go up much?" So they, I think they took the time in July, and I think you will see an uptick this month. I really do. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. But
1: you know, let's see what I'm already seeing some. Uh, uh, Uptick in interest in new development, and also in um, several buyers these days. But again, as I keep saying every week, the market is weekly. It's not even
4: right. Yes, defined exactly. yeah. as a
1: period. It just seems to be changing weekly.
4: And then I also think in the market, <clears throat> there's so many submarkets. So when we yeah. speak hundred very generally, right? But when we really break it down, you know, I think of every building is its own neighborhood. You it's know, so one hundred
1: percent. Okay. Unfortunately, I love this show, but that's it for this morning. Thank you for joining us. You can follow mm-hmm. me on Twitter, on Facebook, or Instagram good at Vince Rocco. So Shoot for the moon, everyone. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. And be kind to one another for all of us at Voice America all around the world. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. Let's go out on the veranda, Goodbye, guys.
4: everybody.
0: Yeah. <laughs> be kind. To- Thanks for tuning in this week.